Grant to us, O Lord, that as we faithfully behold the light of Jesus, we may be strengthened to bear our cross. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts work that change so that we may live into your likeness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. What a Super Bowl! <laughs> Along with a wonderfully played game, we saw something as mundane as coffee and donuts spiced up because of Ben Affleck and J-Lo. Some new lyrics to the tune of Summer Nights sung none other than by John Travolta. Even our little elf, Will Ferrell, made an appearance. We also saw a series of commercials that underscored a fundamental theme. He gets us. As Christians, we intuit right away that the advertisement offers us a fundamental of the Christian faith. But in this scenario, the he is the center of a marketing campaign that has spread far across the United States, spanning between billboards, banner ads, online ads, and a Super Bowl commercial. The ads stem from the central idea that he gets us. They describe how Jesus was a refugee, had disdain for hypocrisy, and was also unfairly judged like other marginalized members of modern society. In one of the commercials, a black and white slideshow of photos tell the story of Central American migrants who must flee their home to avoid persecution. At the end, it's revealed that the story being told is of Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, as they fled to Egypt. Now you would think that this ad is a great tool to introduce our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the world. Well, life being life is not so simple. Social media lit up with questions about the source of funding for the ads. Whether the one plus billion dollars spent for introducing people to Jesus could be better spent on feeding programs or maybe even building houses. It was interesting for me to observe the dividing line among the clergy. In this matter, I posit that perhaps the pro-he-gets-us folks and the anti-he-gets-us folks are on to something. To the anti-he-gets-us folks, perhaps in an age where familiarity with the person of Jesus or the misrepresentation of who Jesus is runs rampant, might we not rejoice that an authentic vision of Jesus has been presented to a larger audience yearning for meaning? And if God, as recorded in the Hebrew scriptures, can use a donkey to speak to a prophet and convert him, in this particular instance, why be so bothered about the source of funding for the campaign? Now to the pro, he gets us folks. 
can Christianity be reduced to he gets us? Is the journey of faith merely about realizing that God identifies with the human condition, our struggles, pains, and confusion? Does such a campaign neuter the notion of an ethical response as a form of Christian discipleship? Perhaps our scripture can help shed some light on these issues today. Our first lesson occurs following the Hebrew exodus from slavery in Egypt. You see, God got them. He heard their cries and saw their oppression and uses Moses as an instrument of salvation. However, consistently, we read that the Hebrew people do not get God, whether it's complaints over food, falling prey to the whims and fancies that they are encountering, their newfound freedom needed some parameters. Perhaps that is why the philosopher John Locke inspired the phrase, good fences make good neighbors. And so Moses is called to come up to the mountain to bask in God's disclosure. Because God gets us so much that God realizes that a covenant, of, a covenant for life in the form of commandments would be the only way to nurture this community as they travel further into the promised land. Our gospel today is the ultimate symbol of Jesus getting us. Jesus as the Lord of life is transfigured. He is completely changed on the mountain. He's visibly demonstrating to the disciples what God's intention for humanity was in creation. For although humans were made in the image and likeness of God, we have retained the image part. But because of human choice, because of free will, we lost the likeness part during the fall. Yes, paradise was lost. Brother killed brother. And the transfiguration now becomes the full disclosure of God. That's why Moses, representing the divine discourse of the law, appears, and Elijah, representing the prophetic mission and action, appears. When Peter sees this, his natural inclination is to remain and dwell in that security. But he hears the voice, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now the imperative to listen perhaps causes a sense of panic. So much so that the disciples fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them saying, Get up. Do not be afraid. You see, Jesus got them. And Jesus gets us. Jesus gets the fragility of life and the reality that all can be blissful in one moment and then disastrous the next. Jesus gets the Job-like condition and nature of life on this earth. But to remain on the mountain is not an option. For while the mountaintop experiences of life are glorious, 
The challenge of faith is to take that experience with us in the darkest and deepest valleys and plains of life. And so we need to come down because there's so much work to do. Jesus certainly gets the disciples. They are afraid. We are afraid. But the question is, do the disciples get Jesus? Are they prepared for mission and ministry that faces the cross? Jesus invites them to a deeper response to grace. Sometimes remaining on the mountaintop is akin to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. It's a comfortable form of existence. Just like the air is thinner at the top of the mountain, the experience of grace becomes quite thin if we remain at the top. It's the experience of saying all is forgiven without doing the work necessary for one to live as a result of being forgiven. It's the experience of just coming to church to be baptized without the moral responsibility to live out what it means to be baptized. It is the experience of going to communion and receiving the Holy Eucharist without the intentionality of changing the course of our lives. Chief grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Beloved, what if coming down the mountain is where grace becomes more fully experienced? What Bonhoeffer calls costly grace. For in his words, costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels humans to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Perhaps the call for Christians in this day and, day and age is to ask, which mountain do we need to come down from? In the midst of a nation that is grappling with the demons of violence, addiction, and polarization, are we merely called to dwell on the mountaintop, far removed from these realities? Or does our baptism call us to a deeper experience of renewal, a renewal that is based in grace? Yes, beloved, Jesus gets us. He gets us. But the question is, do we? Do we as the church, do we as St. Anne's in Annapolis, get him?